Welcome to Geocache Adventures with me, Shadow Dragon One, where I explore the world of geocaching. If you like the podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcast or the Geocache Adventures Facebook page, or share it with somebody that you think would enjoy it. Word of mouth is a great way to spread the podcast. You can also join Geocache Adventures on Buy Me a Coffee. Just follow Geo Adventures. That's one word: G E O Adventures on Buy Me a Coffee and get behind the scenes on every episode or become a member to unlock other exclusive content. Hi everybody, Amy Shadow Dragon 1 here and with me today is Brad Simmons, spokesman for Geo Woodstock Planning Committee. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, thank you for having me. So we're going to talk today about Geo Woodstock, but before we get started, how did you get started geocaching? I started uh, 20 years ago, day after tomorrow, I'd say, April 1st, oh, wow. uh, April Fool's Day. Uh, one of my best buddies and I used to travel a bunch for entertainment, and he called me out of the blue and said, hey, I have got the thing to do on that third weekend in Cleveland, which we used to joke about, like, because the first, it, it's not just Cleveland's anywhere, but the first time you go to a town, you hit all the tourist spots. Second time you're there, you pick up the things that you learned about on that first weekend, Third weekend, we would find ourselves just hanging out at the hotel or hanging out at the venue because we now we've done all the things in that town. Okay. And geocaching was a great way for us to get out and discover the parks, discover like the, not just like the hidden treasures that the Chamber of Commerce was telling you about, but the stuff that the people who lived there wanted to show off. So this was my uh, third weekend in Cleveland thing. I figured I would do it for a few weeks and be over it. And it's, uh, it'll be 20 years this week. <laughs> Are you over it yet? Not quite. <laughs> Maybe a few more weeks. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll do another month or two, see how things go. There you go. How did you get involved with Geo Woodstock? That I had the great fortune of being friends with the Geo Woodstock's godfather, Joe GPS, uh, Joe Armstrong. Okay. Uh, Joe lives about 20 miles or lived about 20 miles north of us. And we, before we met him, were just absolutely fascinated with his caches. He did amazing, amazing things. Uh, there are all kinds of things that now are just ubiquitous, like those bolts that you find that have been drilled out. Yeah. You can order those on stores now. Joe created and hid the very first one of those back in 2002, 2003. Oh, wow. So, oh yeah, it was just amazing stuff. Anytime that Joe, like I've never chased first defiance much, but I always would chase Joe's caches because you wanted to see them in the wild before anybody else had messed with them to see like you see it as he had hidden it a super creative guy and a, and a dear friend and then um because we were hanging out together and cashing together quite a bit uh, we ended up working with him a little bit uh, when he decided to put together geo woodstock okay so for anybody that may be listening that's newer to geocaching what is geo woodstock Geo Woodstock is the uh, the original geocaching mega event that it was started as a supposed to be a tiny event. Uh, Joe really put it together just to meet a few new people. Uh, they had about 75 people turn up in Louisville, Kentucky in 2003. I helped him with uh, some of the like preliminary stuff, but my wife and I actually skipped it because we were on our honeymoon. Oh. And Joe said not to worry because when he started, he goes, like, did we need to reschedule whatever? He's like, no, no, it's not going to be that big a deal. Just uh you guys go have fun. So we missed the first one. But we've been to all of them since. But he envisioned it as a way for, at that time, the top finders in the game to get together and meet each other. Uh, this is 2003. At that time, the uh, geocaching forums were really active. Okay. And there were all these people that you kept like seeing the names online. And for the folks who were traveling quite a bit to find several caches, you know, you would see those names in logbooks and things. And Joe just wanted a way to put those names to faces. And this is 2003, so I want to say there were 10 or 12 people who had found 1,000 geocaches at that time. Yeah, I mean, 1,000 was just an unimaginable on. number. Yeah, it was uh, it, it was insane. So Joe started looking around, and there were several people in the Louisville area. There were three here in the Nashville area. There was uh, one guy in St. Louis. There was some folks in Pennsylvania, someone in Minnesota. And like started looking at, like, where is the best place for us all to get together? And uh, Louisville, Kentucky was chosen as a spot. And then one of the guys who helped him, who was helping organize things, show me the cash, suggested the name Geo Woodstock because it would be like the Woodstock Music Festival that you would get all the top people in the in the game at the time to come together for one big festival. So it was really a, just a chance for everybody to get together. And that's why it was used to be referred to as uh, 
in Gia Woodstock where it's all about the numbers because there was a, a culture at the time, like, you know, that there were people who just cashed for numbers and there were people who cashed for quality, uh, which was kind of crazy because the people who were cashing for numbers loved high quality stuff. They just did it more than other people. Okay. Okay. I think we can all appreciate a high quality cash, whether we like the power trails or just occasional caching. Well, that's part of the fun thing about it because this, we're talking about a time when power trails didn't exist. Yeah. That, uh, that you know, at those days when Joe and Bob, uh, Joe's brother, Southpaw, um, were first caching there, they both had over a thousand caches at this event, but their first 100 caches, it, they hit the ground hard. They were running all the time, but it took them like six or seven months and seven states to find their first hundred caches. Um, yeah, it was a month. It was, it was something it was like four months in seven states. It was wow. a very different game where you were nearly every cache was a walk in a park, a walk in the woods, um, almost exclusively full size caches, just not a lot of micros out yet. Wow. So this first year Woodstock happens, what made them decide to keep doing it? Well, it was a good party. It was nice to get a chance to meet everybody. At the first one, they met under the bridge there, right at the, on the waterfront there in uh, Louisville. They didn't provide any meals or anything, really. Uh, Joe and told everybody to like, stop and grab a Happy Meal there, so they would have some toys to swap out in the caches later on in the day. And they had about 70, 75 people show up and just spend the afternoon sitting around talking and getting to know each other. And, of course, that begins building a larger community and tying these communities together. Because prior to that, we have local groups and the Middle Tennessee Geocaches Club exists, but they're not talking to the folks at uh, Indiana and Kentucky, Inky. So now Inky and right. GC are talking to each other. And the Slogger group, and now they they're all start talking to each other. A Georgia Geocaching Association comes in. And as people get to meet more folks, you know, Joe looked at it and saw that this was a really good thing to get to where these communities were coming together. And he decided, you know what, next year, let's all meet in Nashville. So we had Geo Woodstock 2 in Nashville. And that was such a good party. We had, I think, I think we had around 200 people show up for that one. Oh. That was so much fun that uh, a couple of guys suggested, hey, could we host this thing next year? Let's do it in Jacksonville. So we moved to, moved it to Jacksonville the next year. And, you know, it just, it's like that. It's like start snowballing downhill. And then for the uh, fourth iteration, it was just south of Dallas, Texas. And Joe was a reviewer at the time, one of the early reviewers. He was speaking to the folks at Groundspeak, and they were talking about the difference between, like, these, you know, the regular events we do right. and these big regional events. So he helped, uh, with the help of Geocaching HQ, they all came together and came up with the idea of a mega event that would have at least 500 people attend. So Geo Woodstock in, uh, Geo Woodstock 4 in Texas becomes the world's first mega event. So it only took a couple events a couple of years for it to hit that large absolutely but it was it was a it was kind of a big deal as they say oh uh, yeah yeah i mean i getting 200 something together in the second year you know seems like a, i mean 75 people in one area is a good size event for anything that was a really. huge event in 2003 yeah so i mean like and then to get 200 plus people together i mean it that's that's a big deal it was a huge deal, and he worked really hard to promote it. But at the time, also, like I said, the forums were way more popular. Like, kind of when you started geocaching, I would say that at least 40%, maybe even as high as 60% of the people caching at that time also visited the forums regularly. So you had a larger online community that wasn't nearly as splintered as things are now. So there was a good place there that you could go onto the geocaching forums and advertise, hey, we're going to do this big event. And it very much, uh, he, he was a great uh, marketer and a great showman. And he was very good at making sure that people knew, hey, we're going to do this thing. It's going to be a good time. You don't want to miss it. And it was a good opportunity at the time. I, whenever we had the one in Jacksonville, that was the first time that some folks from geocaching headquarters came and attended the event. So you got to meet Nate. Um, Jeremy's brother came in and you got to meet those folks. We had a contingency of folks from Germany that came that year. Wow. And it just, yeah, it, it things started snowballing. And at the time, there weren't a lot of other big events going on uh, that right. weren't specific to a region. I mean, that, that's kind of, that's the thing that I've always thought is really special about Geo Woodstock. And um, the way that it moves around, that we're not tied to one region that do, well, at this point, we're an international event um, after being in Canada last year. But we've traveled over most of the country and 
you get different groups hosting every year and you get a different feel. Um, and I love, absolutely adore a bunch of the other um, mega events and giga events around the world and am involved in a couple of them. And like, I love going to Midwest Geobash because I know what not to expect when I get to bash. I know where it's going to be. I know who's going to be handling things. I know what to expect at the event. The same thing with going caching in Rome, Georgia. I know where it's going to be and you never know what to expect from them because they are so incredibly creative. But you have this consistent team that's putting things together every year. Right. It's with those. I love that. I love that. You know what we're getting there. Are these places I'm going to get to visit year after year? But with Geo Woodstock, I get to go to a different part of the country and I get to see what a whole new group is going to do to show off their geocaching area, to show off their incredible, you know, the natural beauty around the town, to show off their restaurants, the bars, all of the different things that make their community what it is. And that to me is super exciting every year. How do, how does the committee, oh, first of all, how many are on the committee? Oh, great question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there is a representative from every prior Geo Woodstock. Okay. So we should be at 19 right now. Wow. Um, But I think we're at 17. Uh, We've had a couple that passed away. And we've had a couple of events, like the event has gone back so far that folks have either dropped out of the game or um, in one case, literally everyone who was on the committee has passed away. Wow. And it doesn't really make sense to just invite someone from that community to represent an event that they weren't a part of. Right. Um, okay. Yeah, I should, I should have looked that up before we started. But yeah, that's, uh, for the most part, we have a, everything is represented by and everyone who has a vote on the committee is someone who has previously been part of a committee that hosted a Geo Woodstock. Wow. So this committee, how do you all choose the next location? Uh, we put out, uh, we put out a call for proposals. Okay. Uh, Geowitsite.org has a whole section about how to host the event, like what sort of things you need to bring to the table. But okay. it's like a straightforward process because I don't want you to answer a bunch of questions. As a committee, we don't want you just like to make a checklist. We want to see your creativity. We want to see what it is that, so it's pretty free form when it comes to the proposal, but the basics, you know, we want you to, to have been to a Geo Woodstock before. So you sort of know what to expect. Uh, need to have a committee that is committed um, to doing a good job and folks who are reputable that, you know, who've been in the community for a while. It's always good to have some community leaders on the board. Then we really want to look at like, what do you have in your area that you want to showcase? You know, tell me why your place is special. Tell me why the geocaching in your area is special. Tell me what you've got to do for the rest of the family who may be traveling with the geocacher who isn't there to geocache. Right. You know, it's kind of the whole thing. It's There's no set criteria. But what we want to do is we'll go through those things and we'll look at it. And it's like, you know, this is, there's great geocaching in this area, but they haven't, they don't have a great venue that can hold the sort of crowds we're expecting. This is a great venue, but there's not a lot. Of, there aren't a lot of caches in the area. This is a beautiful spot, but the folks who are doing this don't have not done large events before. So, uh, Geo Woodstock is daunting to host at this point. Uh, you know, we've had we started with 75 people. We've had over 5,000 people. So it's and it really depends on what kind of event you want to hold. Uh, it's been generally been a mega event since it's became the first mega event at uh, Geowistock 4. We've had two giga events, uh, 18 and okay. 19 were both giga events. I mean, sorry, uh, 17 and 18 were both, 16 and 18 were both giga events. I'll get it right eventually. <laughs> um, no, one of the things I really should know that uh, Geowistock 16 in Cincinnati was the first uh, U.S. giga event. And then uh, we followed that up with the first Canadian giga event uh, in Geowistock 18. Wow. Yeah, it's a, it's, but there's a lot that goes into it because it's not just putting together folks in a field like it was uh, when Joe put together the first cup. Now you've got to make sure that you have a place that can handle somewhere between, let's say, a thousand and thirty five hundred people. Yeah, you've got to have parking for that. You have to have bathrooms. You have to have, uh, you have to, have to make sure you have, you know, the police out there to direct traffic and all those things. There are a lot of logistical things that I don't think people realize now go into it. Um, Little things like trying to figure out how many porta potties do we need to add to this park in order to be able to host things there. And then you have to have stuff for people to do during the day. So that's a big part of the proposal as well. We're looking like, are they, are they going to do 
classes? What kind of presentations are they going to have from the stage? Uh, those things aren't required. You can do an entire event with no presentations. I've always said that if I ever were to host the event again, that I would host just the most basic GeoWoodstock that you could have. It would go back to like we did with the first one. It might not even be a mega event. That we would just go back to, let's get a bunch of folks together and talk. Because that is really, with all of the other crazy things that are happening, GeoWoodstock at its core is about bringing an international community together to talk about and to have fellowship over a game we all love. Because if you don't love geocaching, you're not showing up at Geo Woodstock. It's an expense. You have to travel. There are things there. You're spending, we tend to spend at least a week in the area when we're out there with geocaching, but way more important to me than finding a handful of caches in a new area is seeing the people that I have been attending this party with for the last 20 years. And it is really great. I mean, there are folks that I see two or three times a year, and I see them at the big mega events. And there are folks that I only see at Geo Woodstock. And I absolutely look forward to that. We used to, I used to feel like I got it wrong because I would go to the area and I would just like cash like crazy. And I would be at the event for a few hours, you know, an hour or two, and you know, go pick up my packet and I'm out cashing. Not anymore. I am there first thing in the morning and I'm there all day long just walking around. I've had Geo Woodstocks lately that if there weren't a cache like right on the grounds, I wouldn't find anything because I'm way more interested in seeing the people who are visiting than going out and signing a few more logs that day. That's awesome. Now I know, so I have been to MOGA previously and from talking to other geocachers at that event and just other geocachers from their experiences, MEGAs draw people in early and will show up like a week early to cache the area and do the different site events. How do the site events happen? Or is it just random geocachers in the area say, hey, we want to host a site event? Or do you reach out to the community? Or how does that happen? Uh, generally with Geo Woodstock, I mean, of course, and one of the things um, that's important to remember about Geo Woodstock is even though I'm on the organizing committee and I help to choose where it is, Mm-hmm. we try to be as hands-off as we can about the actual event. Of okay. course, we are always here happy to consult, happy to work. I've I've shown up early and helped pack packets together for folks. Like, I mean, we will do anything you need with Geo Woodstock. We want to be there. We want to be helpful. But the one thing that I don't want to do is put my thumbs on the scale and change your event. I want the host committee to have the freedom to do the things they want to do. And, and I have had times where I've looked at one coming up and like, oh, wow. I don't see how they're going to pull this off. This is going to crash and burn. I'm just so worried. And then I get there and they have done everything. And it's been amazing. And that is, I've always said, like when people get concerned, sometimes they're like having the freedom to fail allows people to succeed. So we try very hard to not take a too much of a role in each individual event. That said, always happy to help out. So in the, sometimes our hosts like to reach out to the community and have different people host the uh, lead up events. I think this year that they're pretty much handling the stuff in house that Owensboro is doing their, their uh, convention visitors bureau is putting things together and they have a great series of events starting, I believe on Monday of that week, it's going to be, I mean, they, they have something big every single day. I was looking at my travel schedule and trying to figure out how I'm going to have to shift my travel schedule to not miss some of the things that they are doing, <laughs> but it really does come down to each separate committee, figuring out how to do things. And uh, I am, once again, constantly amazed at what folks will come up with for people to do on a random Wednesday night. And we've had closed down the street block parties. Uh, we've had things at smaller, uh, smaller venues. We've had concerts. It's been all, just been all over the board. Uh, we've learned some valuable lessons. Uh, back when things first started, things first started really growing we didn't realize how important it was for the uh, hosts of the mega event to have some control over the events that happened around their event. So we had events that, you know, that were, would have been fine for a usual week. You know, we're going to have a thing here at a bar. They had a local cash, uh, not a local, a casher came in to one of our geo Woodstocks. They decided to put together an event at a bar. That's normally no problem. You know, 30, 40 people, no big deal. Had over 600 people show up at the bar that night. Oh, wow. That was, a, nobody expected that. Uh, with the Geo Woodstock that we hosted, uh, that I hosted Geo Woodstock 7 in Belmont, Tennessee. 
there was a satellite event that someone that we didn't uh, didn't know at the time put together about coins at a different hotel and they had done everything right they just didn't realize that they were going to have a thousand people show up at the hotel and the fire marshal was going to come in and close down the conference room that they had oh, rented um, wow. and if there wasn't sufficient parking at the hotel and that sort of thing because you just can't plan for those sort of things I mean, if you're not in the middle so it just overwhelms the places it absolutely does and one of the good things now is that when you host a mega event uh, geocaching hq works with the host on the lead-up days to make sure that there is kind of put a halo around the event to okay. make sure that any events that get published during that week are inside the halo that the uh, that the hosts are aware of them and that they agree with them and things so you don't have folks put together a, a donut meet and greet at the local donut shop and, ha- you know, at seven in the morning and have 200 people show up for donuts. Um, it just, it's okay. one of those things that to help protect mega events in general, and it's happening and it's protection for all the different mega events uh, to make sure that you don't like get a bad reputation because, you know, somebody's car got towed because they, there wasn't parking for the event that the host had nothing to do with. Okay. It's another one of those like weird considerations that you don't think about until you get into that situation and realize like, wow, what's. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I would have thought of that, but it makes perfect sense when you say it. Like if uh, you just got to completely overwhelm an establishment and just, you know, overwhelm the locals and everything and just make it bad for everybody. If you're not careful with that. And because generally the place that, you know, I have places that I host events on a regular basis and I can handle 60 or 70 people there. No problem. Yeah. And I go and let them know I need the back room. It's going to be, I need, you know, I'll probably have 30, 40 people show up. Well, on a week when you've got a couple of thousand cashers in your town, if there's an event up, you know, even if you only get 10% of them showing up, you've got a hundred people now. Yeah. If you get 25% of them showing up, now we've got, 250 people there and that's assuming there are only a thousand people in town that night and when you look at these where we can have five thousand people show up you know what happens now if 10 percent of them decide to swing by the donut shop you're gonna run out of donuts real quick <laughs> real quick it's good for business but it's it's bad for the event overall yeah so that makes sense hq would work around the committee and the event to kind of help control what's what's happening there that's and that's with all of the mega events in the u.s that uh all the mega event organizers work closely with hq to make sure that we're do, we're all working to make sure that we're doing good things for the sport that we don't have any black eyes on the sport we want to make sure that when we bring this community together whether it's geo Woodstock or one of the other wonderful megas out there we want to make sure that we're promoting the sport and doing the best thing for the community Right, because it only takes one bad experience to ruin it for for everybody. That's it. The bad news is what makes the news. Everybody right. getting together and having a wonderful day, that's not news. And having a wonderful day is what we always try to do and what we've been able to do so far. So with Geo Woodstock, it seems like most... I don't know about all, but the ones I'm familiar with, the make events I'm familiar with, they kind of have just that sort of same formula every time you know mm-hmm. moga's uh big on the competitions that's their big mm-hmm. draw you got uh geo coin fest it's all about the geo coins and the trackables and stuff but from what you've said it sounds like geo woodstock they've they've got a lot of var- they can have a lot of variation in the formula depending on what the host decide absolutely and that's that's what uh keeps Geo Woodstock near and dear to my heart, that we get to see something new. And to me, it's almost like the core of geocaching, because what drew me to geocaching in the first place is having to wander into a random city that I've never been to before and suddenly discovering this wonderful little waterfall in a local park. That's not on, there's no Yelp review for that thing. There's no yeah. like easy way to get it. The reason that I've discovered it is because someone who lives there, who cares about that waterfall, hit a geocache to show me their wonderful spot, to show me their secret spot. And I love that. I've always said, like, that is the hidden treasure, the true treasure of this game. They're the locations that you get to visit and the people that you meet along the way. Well, Geo Woodstock really focuses in on that. It is all about the people that you meet while you're there. 
And the format that we use, having local hosts choose and not being limited to what our view of Geo Woodstock is, but being able to bring their own view and their own scope to it, that really puts us in a position where they're showing us their area. They're showcasing things. They're saying, this, these are the treasures that we have to share with the world. And I love that. And don't get me wrong, I'm at Midwest Geobash every year. I'm always happy to help out up there. And I adore that event. I've, and one of the things I love about it is I don't have to do very much work. <laughs> I'm at Going Caching in Rome, Georgia every year. And I absolutely adore that event that I try to get away. I've been to MOGA several times. I always enjoy going to MOGA. I don't compete at MOGA. I just enjoy getting there and getting to see the people that I haven't seen in a while. Right. I've been doing the caches around the area. Um, but that, and then, and there are several others. Don't want to leave anybody out. Um, love the Project Giga and, you know, Europe. Those are always fun. That it's, but like you said, they all sort of have a formula. They have a thing that works for them. And I love the fact that I know what to expect when I get to Wasing, Ohio for Midwest Geobash. I, down the way, I'm almost in a rut. Like I know where I'm going to have dinner on Friday night. I, like I know the things <laughs> I'm going to do. And I absolutely love that. I love going to uh, going fishing in Rome because I don't know what's going to happen because they do such an incredible job of keeping us all on our toes. And I'm part of the crew that helps put that event together now. And I still am constantly surprised and amazed at the creativity down there and just what they have in store for us. But that is the same thing with Jill Woodstock. I love going into town and not knowing what's in there. And I try to stay out of the planning as best I can so I can be surprised as well. Okay. And that is, that is really, I think that to me that that is the biggest strength of Geo Woodstock is that we have a huge diversity of experience because we have a super diverse team that puts it together. It's not the same crew every time we're getting new ideas. Some of the ideas are wonderful. Some of them aren't. That's life. But I would rather have something that didn't quite make it, that was new and exciting and vibrant than doing the same thing year after year. So yeah, I'm very proud of what our hosts have been able to do for us. Well, I am hopefully life doesn't get in the way of me. Hopefully I plan on being at Geo Woodstock this year. So I'm excited. And my husband asked me what we're going to do at Geo Woodstock. And I said, I have no clue. And I, after this interview, I can tell him I still have no clue, but it's going to be a good time. So <laughs> oh, well, take a look at what they're doing and go to geowoodstock.com and you'll see what they've got going on for this year. That's kind of a big overview. They've got something on the schedule every night. Uh, Owensboro, Kentucky is an amazing town. Bogo was there a few years ago. Yes, it was. And they have uh, this great riverfront area. It's super vibrant. Hotels are all right there. The convention center is right there on the water. They have a national award-winning children's playground. It's like a middle of this thing. There are fountains all along the way. They've got a bridge there that I don't know what they're doing this year. When they had Moga there, they had the bridge lit up with a code that you had to use to solve one of the puzzles for Moga. Oh, wow. So like the city is all in on it. Uh, they have phenomenal barbecue there. They make some great bourbon there. The Bluegrass Hall of Fame is there. So they're, they, they're bourbon, barbecue, and bluegrass. And there is a an entire cryptozoological um, aspect of Owensboro because apparently Bigfoot lives nearby. And there's a whole there's a whole thing with Bigfoot that's happening at Geo Woodstock this time. Oh. And if they didn't, if they weren't doing this amazing thing downtown out the riverfront and with the great restaurants and bars and everything they have down through there. And all of the things that our hosts have planned for us, there are thousands of geocaches within an hour's drive that, and some truly amazing stuff. Like I'm almost disappointed that I've been, I've cached in the area several times because I won't get to see some of these things for the first time, because there are some caches there that folks are going to be standing around the campfire, the, the, the figurative campfire at Geo Woodstock talking about, because there's just so much creativity in the area. It sounds awesome. So the the big event, you got the side events and stuff, but the big events, I, I've looked at the schedule online and there's still some stuff that hasn't been announced yet at this point, it's still early on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm, even I'm, up until the week, there will be surprises that won't be announced until we get there. It, it's, I'm looking forward to that. And as you said, Owensboro is a beautiful area. 
and and that alone is a good reason to host an event there. But why did the committee select Owens Borough? Uh, it was really on the strength of the proposal that, uh, of course, I'd attended the MOGA there. So I had some first uh, several of our committee members had attended MOGA there. So had firsthand experience and to see that they certainly the team that was putting it together could handle a uh, Geo Woodstock sized event. The area, the certainly sufficient hotels and the convention center. It's a wonderful area to host a large scale event. Plenty of parking, uh, none of the headaches that you associate with some of that sort of thing. But when we look through with what the uh, the city had put together there with the Commission of Visitors Bureau and uh, and with their chamber and they're looking at their plans of what they wanted to do to show off their town and to welcome geocachers in for, with them, with those side events. It was just a it was hard to look at theirs and not get excited about coming to Owensboro. And of course, that's the real heartbreak of the whole thing is that, you know, we will often have three to five really good proposals. And you look at them, you're like, okay, so where are we going to go this year? Um, you know, which of these, which of these proposals is the strongest? And often we're there like, We'll come down in between ourselves. I was trying to go like, how do you decide between two really good proposals? And in that case, a lot of times we will look at an area and be like, well, Geo Woodstock hasn't been held in this area. So it's a new region that we that we're moving into. Oh, okay. Uh, so that's the thing, you know, when you look at that, at least looking at diversity, you know, how far is this area from somewhere that has already hosted a Geo Woodstock? Um, although we have absolutely traveled back. Uh, we've, you know, there was one in Nashville, there was the now hosted one. 40 miles away in Dalbuckle there. The original was in Louisville. The 10 year one was just across the river in Sellersburg, Indiana. So we, we don't mind returning to an area at all. Uh, but those are the kind of things that it comes down to when you look at it you're like, wow, these are both great proposals. There would be a great venue and great team for the geocaching community to come visit with. But we haven't had one in this, in this general region. So let's take a look at that. Um, yeah, it's tough. That I mean, and, and we are blessed to have this like uh, <laughs> to have these riches to pick from. That it's not. Yeah, I would hate to get us get to a place where like, well, we had one person bid this year. <laughs> thank goodness, you know, we knock on wood. Thank goodness we haven't been in that position yet. So as as we're recording this, deadline for submitting for the next one is March thirty first, which would be tomorrow in tomorrow. real recording time be a little uh will have already passed when this airs uh but uh, joe woodstock 21 will be held the next year and we'll be yes. opening up bids for that yes so at this point i'm guessing you have a few uh proposals in already that uh, i've got a few in and i can't well one i can't talk about a period because well, right, it's always a big not. secret but the <laughs> funny thing is i can't even speak to them because i literally haven't opened them this is the week where i really start receiving stuff and okay. i had a couple pop up in uh, my emails this week and i don't open them until tomorrow afternoon i will crack everything up and make sure that everything's complete that the attachments are there that everything downloads properly and all that mm -hmm. and on uh, april 1st i'll make i'll, I'll them and then put it on our website our internal website so the rest of the committee can take a look at these things and i do that so i don't have pre-knowledge so we're all looking at things with fresh eyes okay um, yeah but i don't I, we work really really hard to make sure that we don't do anything to like predispose like if i went through and read through them i'm sure that i would read one that there would be one that rose to the top for me Right. And I want to make sure that like, like everything's always in alphabetical order, you know, so we don't, so I don't somehow by presenting this one first, like make us all lean one direction because we really, we don't even discuss it internally until oh. we've had an opportunity for everyone to read through all the packets. Okay. Then, and a lot of times we will ask questions internally back and forth, and then we will go we'll often go back to the hosts for clarification. Okay. If there's, if there's something that we, that we're not quite sure about, we'll ask about that. And we generally take uh, 10 days for everybody to read and then a couple of days of discussion. We take two weeks to decide where the next one's going to oh, be. So you and once you we... decide pretty quick after that, that final deadline. Yeah, that's it. Well, I mean, after tomorrow, tomorrow night at midnight, we're not receiving anymore. I mean, if it comes in on April 1st, sorry, you missed the deadline. 
So there's no point putting things off there. We've got a, the team and we're tight. We all like, we all know each other. We've talked together for several, several years. We're all friends. So it's not that tough. We put them out there. We all know what we're looking for. We have some really good eyes on there. Then everybody will come back with their questions and we'll go back and do a little round table discussion. And it generally, it generally doesn't take that long to get to a consensus. Uh, it just, I mean, you know, knock on wood. I, so far <laughs> we've had pretty good luck because you do, you look at things and we, I don't think we have ever received a bad bid. You know, okay. that's like, we've never, I don't think we've ever seen one where you like picked it up and we're like, yeah, this isn't going to fly. So we look through all of them and we sort of all use our own internal grading system and figure out what our number one choice is. And then it comes out, we do a live chat or we go back and forth in forums. It's, it doesn't take too long to see like, you know, which, which direction everybody's leaning. Okay. And as soon as we figure that out, uh, we, we give it two weeks because also like to make sure that even if we like all decided on day one, nothing's official till the end. So if you want to think about it and go back through, if you change your mind, we give them a, we come to the end, we all make our, we do a final vote, tally everything up. It's all out in the open. Everybody can see who voted for what. And then uh, we go and let the new host know that they are going to be uh, hosting this year so they can get to work because there's a ton of work to be done. It sounds like it. And the ones that didn't make it, we let them know that they didn't make it. And generally, if there's anything, uh, if we have any, uh, not criticism is the wrong word, but we have anything constructive to say about it, like we didn't award it to you this year, but we like the proposal. Come back to us next year. We have questions about this, this, and this. Okay. Um, to kind of see where things are going um, to try to help folks go along because this event depends on the, the host that hosted every year. We're the committee that decides where it goes, but we don't do the work. The work is coming from the community of the folks who decide, I want to give back to my, to the geogash community as a whole, and I'm willing to do that through Geo Woodstock. And uh, we have all done it. We know how much work is involved in it, and we know what an honor and a privilege it is to have been a host. And we take that very seriously as we're choosing to who's going to join the team for the next time. So have you had previous applicants that weren't selected for whatever reason reapply in the, pre in the following years? Absolutely. And be selected in the following years. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, I don't want to discourage anyone. Like we want people to host it. Um, we want people to understand, you know, that it's a big undertaking. Right there. I mean, it blows me away that this thing that started with Joe wanting to get at least 10 people together in Louisville has turned into an event that has thousands of people show up and literally has half million dollar budgets sometimes because of the number of people who are ordering coins and ordering t-shirts and using those porta potties and parking and having the police direct traffic and renting venues and buying insurance for those days. Like I'm, when we did ours, I was shocked at how much money we spent on having insurance just for the oh, event. I would have never thought about that. Uh, there are a ton <laughs> it of makes considerations. Sense. <laughs> Once you say it, it makes sense, but it's not something that I would have thought about having to have event insurance because there's so many people there and liabilities associated with that many people just in one area. And a lot of times the venues will cover that. I mean, that's part of the things that when uh, Joe Woodstock 16 was held at Coney Island Theme Park in Cincinnati or just outside Cincinnati um, in Claremont County. But when they do, of course, they have their riders there. Um, we add an insurance rider over the top of what they have, but they have that sort of thing that's handled. When I hosted it, we hosted it in the town of Bellicle, Tennessee, on a piece of property that we owned that had a stage there in the middle of town. So even though we had our basic event insurance, I also purchased riders to go over the top for that day to make sure everything was covered. And we donated money to the local boy scouts who helped direct traffic and park cars we donated money to and uh, gps units and mapping to the local fire department at that because at that back in 2009 they didn't have gps units for the fire department so we oh. did a project with them where we mapped all of the uh, fire hydrants and um, natural water sources in their district and then programmed all those into the gps's and made sure they had gps's that were programmed in every truck on their force um, awesome. There are a lot of things like that. Um, it's funny, like, even though there are huge numbers going around, like this is not about making money. Right. Uh, like we're always pretty clear about that up front. Like 
this we have to make enough money to make sure that we can pay for meals and venues and porta potties and t-shirts and all of those all of those liabilities that you take on and when you're hosting the event right but when we finished out uh, our goal was to fly as kind of as close to the ground as we could without crashing and when we were all said and done with Jill Woodstock uh, 7 which we uh, we hosted here in Tennessee we took the money that was left over. We took each other, we took the 10 of us out to dinner one night at a Mexican restaurant and had lots of margaritas <laughs> to celebrate that we had survived it and then figured out how to take what profits were left over there and where to allocate those. And we donated those to the fire department, to the chamber, to our local Boy Scout groups to make sure that the money that was made by the community, inviting people in, went back into the community to serve that community. That's awesome. So... You know, obviously the sales from the different swags and stuff support the yes. the event. So is it the hosting committee that comes up with the designs for that? Or is it taken care of some other way? Uh, absolutely. It is the hosting committee. Um, okay. We have a set of guidelines that they get as far as like the use of our trademark and that sort of thing. Uh, okay. But outside of that, it's... Once again, like we try to keep our fingers off the scales. Like I want to see what the local hosts are able to put together. And it doesn't matter whether I think that's a beautiful design or a terrible design. It's their design. And it's it's the face that they want to put out to the world. And, like, and we haven't, I don't think we've had any bad designs. But even if there was one that I looked at, and as long as it wasn't offensive in some way, I would go, hey, knock yourselves out. That's, that's the face you want to put out to the world? Put that face on because that's, it's their face. And that is really, that is the thing that I, you know, I, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I want to keep coming back to <laughs> the great thing about Geo Woodstock is that no one knows what it looks like. I've been there since the beginning and I don't know what it looks like and I don't know what it's supposed to look like. And thank goodness that none of us have an idea what this is really supposed to be, because if we did, then it would end up looking like that year after year. And I don't want that. And the committee doesn't want that. It, it sounds... I, I'm going to be honest. It sounds completely overwhelming to be the host of this thing. <laughs> um, it is. Having been a host, I can say absolutely that it is. And um, we hosted, uh, Joe worked with us on our committee because he was here. Um, Joe passed away uh, six years ago, seven years ago. Um, sorry, I always get weird. Um, it's hard to think about him being gone. I, I understand that. It really is. Um, he started this and he ran it and he was in control of everything. And when he passed, he talked to us. He had a plan for how things continued. And um, we tried to stick to his plan and tried to honor what he had, what he what he wanted to have things look like. And, and I'm not in charge of anything. That's a that's the thing. Let me be clear about that. I'm the spokesperson for the committee. The committee makes all the decisions. We have a three-person executive committee. It's myself, whimsy guy out of North Carolina and paint fiction out of Florida that Joe put together. So we would have three folks that if you had to have a quick answer on something that, to do legal things and stuff, we are the, you know, we're the three guys who come together. We have to do something quick. But we try not to do, even do anything quick. We try to make sure that everybody has a voice in the committee on anything that we do. But um, I'm only here talking to you because I am the voice of that committee. And I'm only the voice of that committee because Joe told me that it was my <laughs> job to speak if he couldn't. Um, that he was, at Jill Woodstock 13, his health was failing. And he wasn't sure if he was going to be able to make the announcements that afternoon. And he, we were standing, he said, I may not be able to go. If I can't go, you're going to speak for me. I'm like, yes, sir. Uh, there's no question and a few weeks later the last conversation we had uh, we talked about me being able to speak for him going forward so we all take it very seriously um, that the great majority of the folks that are on this committee were friends of Joe's to start with um, he brought us together to start with and we absolutely honor what he created and we want to continue to honor that and uh one of the things that Joe was a very strong believer in was the community and the diversity of the community, that the many different viewpoints are what make community 
having a hundred people standing around who agree about everything is a community. That's a, that's an army. You got that. That's easy. Like that's, <laughs> having folks who have different viewpoints and bringing those folks to the table, making sure that all of those voices are heard. were very, that was very important to him. That's very important to me. And I think that's what we try most to capture with the event of Geo Woodstock is to make sure that those local voices are heard and that we are seeing something genuine and something that's real. Because when it comes down to it, if Joe, would, if Joe were here and God, I wish he were, he would tell you real quick that it's about getting these folks together to talk. And it doesn't matter where we do it. We can all stand around in a parking lot. We can stand around in a field. And for anyone who knew Joe, Standing around in a parking lot after dinner could take hours and hours <laughs> because he understood how important it was to keep everyone talking to each other. Because if we're looking at each other and we're talking to each other, we're moving forward. We may have problems, but we're working on figuring them out. We're figuring out what are we going to do catching better in our community? What are we going to do to make our community better? What are we going to do to keep people from arguing about things? You know, that was another big thing that he used to get frustrated with the forums because a lot of folks get real kind of snippy when they get behind a keyboard and yeah. you hear those, you know, you get those fingers clicking real hard and it's easy to say really hurtful things, but it's a lot harder to do that when you're sitting across a table or standing across a truck bed or standing out in the field talking to folks. And that, to me, is what Geo Woodstock is all about. To me, that's one of the big things. When you get everybody together, when you're sitting across the table from one another, if you're leaning on a truck bed and looking across that truck or you're just standing out in the field, it gets really hard to not see the humanity in the other person, to not see them as a real person, and to not talk to them about real things. It's pretty rare to say something mean to somebody's face because they're real. Behind a keyboard, they're just a name and that sort of thing. And that one of the big right. things, the reason he put this together in the first place was to take those 10 names that he kept seeing in logs and that he kept seeing on the forums and put faces with the names. And that is the beauty of the first event. And when we someday get there, that will be the beauty of the last event. That folks who haven't ever seen each other before will meet new friends. That folks who haven't seen each other in years will come back together and there will be hugs and rejoicing because we're together again. Jill Woodstock 18 in British Columbia. That team, I have to give them a shout out. I love all of our hosts, but you know, they held the ball there for three years because COVID shut down the world for us and right. we weren't having mega events. And when we got back there, especially on the other side of the country, but on the other side in a different country. There were so many people and so many, and after spending two years of staying six feet apart with our masks on and that sort of thing, to see folks that I haven't seen in two years and to have those hugs and that fellowship and to just, to feel the relief of knowing that we were on the other side and that we could see each other once again, truly amazing feeling I'm practically spiritual and who could have thought we could have this amazing uh, just truly amazing homecoming because one afternoon Joe decided he wanted to meet those folks behind the computer screen that he wanted to see who it was that was signing those logs in front of him and he brought everybody together in a little park under a bridge in Louisville Kentucky and having done that so you know what this community thinks pretty good let's keep it going and here we are. Here we are. 20 years later. I'm going to be looking at bids tomorrow for Geo Woodstock 20. 20 years. That's I've, My wife and I recently celebrated 20 years of marriage. And as we said to each other, 20 years is a long time to do something, even if you like it. That's true. That's true for it. No matter what it is. <laughs> no matter what it is. It's hard to eat ice cream for 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's it's just amazing to see these big yearly events keep going. It truly is. And like and I look forward to this so much. When I sit down and start planning my travel schedule, I'm like, okay, I know I, I know I have to be in Wasseyan, Ohio this weekend. I know I have to be in Rome, Georgia this weekend. <laughs> I know I've got to be in Owensboro this weekend. And then trying to see which other ones I can fit in. It is 
amazing though how many of these uh the mega events get their credit and everything, but there are a ton of regional events. And if there's not a mega event that's in your area, go to one of these bigger regional events, go to the big picnics that are things that are put together by the state organizations and things. And just get out and meet more people because at the end of the day, yeah, we want to go find caches. We want to sign those logs. We want to share that with our family and with our friends. But one really wonderful way of expanding your family and your group of friends is by going to these, one of these events hanging around, talking to people about something that you love. We all love geocaching. Maybe go out, find a cache with them, have a drink afterwards, go grab a meal with somebody and help build that community. I know that my immediate family has been enhanced by the chosen family of geocachers that has joined us over the last 20 years. And when my son was born, there were geocachers who were hanging out in the hallway waiting to meet him. Oh, because that's, awesome. that's how family goes that's we have a group that gets together every thursday night joe started that as well and on every thursday night we get together and we eat dinner and just talk about hardly ever talk about caching anymore we talk about our families and how our weeks have gone and everything because that's what community is about about being a support group for each other oh that's great that's great uh I'm looking forward to Geo Woodstock. I know it's going to be an amazing event. And I, I can't wait to see what it's all about when we get down there and check it out. Uh, it's going to be wonderful. It always is. I don't know everything they have planned, but just the things I know off the top of my head, I can't wait to see some of the stuff that they're doing. And I can't wait to do what we've been talking about. Instead of seeing you across a computer screen, I cannot wait to meet you in person. Right I hope I get Woodstock. to meet you. There's a couple people that... I have met because of this podcast that I have managed to stay in touch with that you, they live halfway across the country. So I've mm-hmm. never met them in person that are planning to be there at Geo Woodstock. I'm looking forward to actually getting to meet people in person. Well, absolutely. We're, we will make sure to make it happen because I'll be there all day looking around. And if you can't find me anywhere else, at the end of the day, I'll be up on stage somewhere announcing where Geo Woodstock 20 will be held next year. Yes, and I look forward to hearing where that amazing event will be next year as well. And on that note, I don't, I can't think of a better way to wrap up that conversation, but you have a cash highlight for us that I, I, I looked this up and I saw the pictures and this looks amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's Geocast GC4JWPY. And it's called, correct me if I get the name of this wrong, because I didn't have the foresight to write the name down. You can't stop the signal. Can't stop the signal. Can't stop the signal. So tell us about this geocache. Well, can't stop the signal is, uh, of course, a nod to our good friend, Signal the Frog. And with a little uh, tip of the hat to uh, Firefly, because you can't stop a signal, Mal. <laughs> but this is one of those crazy things that actually, when we hosted Geo Woodstock 7, uh, I keep a notebook with me all the time, and I'm always just, you know, making little notes here, little notes there, like, this would be cool. I put this together for Geo Woodstock 7 and then never got around to actually building it. And a couple of years later, I was flipping through the book looking for something about uh, Geo Woodstock, and this, the actually, the literal cocktail napkin that this one started as fell out of the book. And I thought, you know what, I should get back and do that. So, uh, Can't Stop the Signal is a uh, squared off sort of 8-bit representation of Signal the Frog that's a little over six feet tall, built entirely out of ammo cans. There are 19 ammo cans used in the construction from 30 caliber ammo cans for the legs and arms um, and his his satchel of 30 cal. There's a 50 caliber, one of the large 50 cals um, for his head. And then there are two of the huge, they were a Vulcan cannon uh, ammo can i don't remember what the number is on them for the torso and a stainless steel bolt for his head uh when i first started to put this together i talked to joe about it and he suggested that i not try to weld it because ammo cans are notoriously hard to weld i didn't listen um and i failed i burned through several <laughs> ammo cans trying to figure out the work so uh signal has a stainless steel all-thread endoskeleton holding all of those pieces together Oh, wow. Uh, and because he's big, like it's, it's no, um, 
if you take a look on the cash page, it's, the gallery's full of spoilers. Uh, he's actually located right outside my office, uh, right outside my office door. So folks can slip in here. And uh, every once in a while, if people realize that this is actually where I am every day, so they do pop in <laughs> and say hello. Um, other times, they just like sneak in and out and go see him. But uh, we've got a monster, a Signal of the Frog standing out there holding a gift ammo can that has a log in there. It's uh, been awarded five bugs or five stars by the Travel Bug Hotels of America. Um, it's gotten a several, we're thankful it's gotten several favorite, favorite points. And uh, just a little something fun for, you know, something fun for the kids. It, the gallery, there's, it is so neat looking. It's just right there. There's, it just looks like an open area and it is just right there. And I, I don't think you could miss it driving up. You may not know what it is if you don't geocache, but uh, I, I imagine it, it gets a lot road, of people. <laughs> yeah, it, it looks amazing. Like I, I can't imagine how long did it take you to build that? Uh building it was fairly quick. Uh really? built it over the course of a weekend. The problem was painting it. Oh because okay. when I decided I was trying to get the whole thing together, I laid out the paint and it rained for nearly two weeks. So I had it no. in I had it in my studio and we were I would put paint on and then it would take forever to dry. And I was trying to do a technique where it's all spray paint, but it was a, it's got several layers of glitter and things on there to give it a little, a uh, little depth, a little iridescence. And it was taking between like two days between coats of paint for it to dry. So it took me about two weeks to get it painted after a weekend of building. Wow. Just too much humidity. It wouldn't set up, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Just, a, just, just poor time. And if I had just been patient with I could have painted the whole thing in two days, but uh, <laughs> not huge on patience. But as you can see from that one and, uh, and from most of the other things that I've hidden and most of the things I do, I don't do things small um, very often. <laughs> I tend to be a bit over the top. Um, I'm sure there are a ton of folks listening to your podcast now going like, wow, Brad's pretty chill tonight. He's usually way more extra. Um, but <laughs> we'll see you, Joe Woodstock, and you'll see. Um, <laughs> I've been described as exuberant. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's great. Well, I, that cache you built is amazing, and I'm I'm going to add a picture to it to the show notes so people can can click over there and and check it out. It it is. <laughs> I I have yet to see anything else like this in a geocache. It's it's pretty amazing. And where did you get all the ammo cans from? Do you did was there like an army surplus store nearby that you were able to go pick these all up from or or how where'd you find them? Uh I'm not even embarrassed to admit that I generally keep a ton of ammo cans around. Um, because I like to hide, uh, I like to hide stuff on trails and stuff, and I like to have them there. So, at one point, I bought a couple of pallets of surplus cans, and of course, our group, like we all, just kind of pass around. That was a uh, Joe and Bob and I. Originally, instead of uh, ammo cans for legs, we were going to do the missile tubes because I had a bunch of those left over. But the missile tubes didn't work out particularly well for legs; they weren't as stable as I'd hoped. Okay. Uh, but we we would run into an Army Navy surplus store and see that they had a bunch of missile tubes, so we would just buy all of them. I mean, if it was a decent deal, I mean, figure out. I mean, we, we're geocachers. There's always somebody who needs an ammo can. Uh, matter of fact, at Geo Woodstock, too, I believe Joe gave away a pallet of ammo cans there. Um, if not, it was at another event he did at that same location that he would just bring. Wow. We'd buy a bunch of them and he would give them out because by giving them away, suddenly there were, you know, 50, 60, 80 new ammo cans hidden in our general area. That's awesome. That's more That's stuff a great idea. Mm hmm. It's a lot better than a bunch of micros, in my opinion. Well, and in in our experience, if you look around and look at like a, some of the uh, auction sites and things, you can often buy a pallet of ammo cans for the price of four or five at a store. Um, oh, I'm, wow. I know that I've bought pallets for less than $100. Um, sometimes they're in terrible shape and you have to clean them up or just you know, have rusted through ammo cans, but... They're always good to have handy and we use them around the farm. Uh, the toolbox on the tractor is an ammo can, a 30 caliber ammo can that we drilled through the uh, fender. So always handy. Can't go wrong with the ammo can. Absolutely. That's awesome. 
Well, Brad, thank you so much for, for coming on here with me today and, and telling us all about Geo Woodstock and its history and, and doing the cash highlight for us. It's been a lot of fun, and I really appreciate you taking the time out to do that. Well, thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to meet you at Geo Woodstock and uh, to have all your visitors come join us in Owensboro this year. You've been listening to Geocache Adventures with me, Shadow Dragon One. If you'd like to get in touch, you can reach out to me on Facebook, Instagram, or go to geocacheadventures.org and you can find the information on the contact page. Theme music is by The Travel Bugs. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Have you heard of FTF Magazine? It's the magazine for geocachers. It is full of articles and pictures all submitted by geocachers just like you. I'm a subscriber myself, and I love it. My favorite part is the little snippets on the edges of the articles on all the different pages. Those are my favorites. Just go to ftfgeo.com to check them out and tell them Shadow Dragon 1 sent you. 